So let's get started. This week we're talking about this paper by Charity Marsh and Melissa West called The Nature-Technology Binary Opposition Dismantled in the Music of Madonna and Bjork. So right there in the title we have this idea, nature and technology are not mutually exclusive. Now I've been thinking a lot about binaries lately, sort of in every sense of the word. I think there's deep epistemological value in this idea of the binary. I think it tells us a lot about the way that we think, the way that we come to know things. I really want to look at, on a fundamental level, what Madonna and Bjork are really doing here. So, for one of my classes, I just recently read the author Sylvia Winter, who's a Jamaican poeticist and literary theorist and just all-around brilliant writer. And she has this idea of an episteme. Now, I've encountered this idea before, but I think it's really relevant in her work specifically and how it ties into this essay. Winter has this idea of the episteme. And the episteme, the way I think about it is it's the framework of all of our minds, the way that we think. It's the fundamental assumptions of what we know. I guess the episteme is the kinds of ideas about time and space and causality in humans that serve as the basis of knowledge in a very primary kind of way. It's sort of the pre-conscious things that we don't think about, but really, really are the basis of everything we know. So Sylvia Winter talks about how language and the episteme are deeply, deeply interconnected and related. You know, through language we develop nouns, verbs, subjects and objects. So the episteme is structured into language, what we think of as objects, what we think of as actions, behaviors, you know, the human metaphysics, I guess, in this way, is expressed through language. How we think of isolated material objects, how we think of ourselves, you know, as independent objects with respect to anything else. It's really sort of language that conveys these fundamental assumptions about the world. The language and the episteme work together to sort of construct our minds. You know, language has a really, really powerful role in determining the way we think, who we are as peoples, our identity as an individual, our identity as a collective. It's really, really immensely structured by the episteme of language, the metaphysical principles that we take for granted, things that are just so pre-conscious we don't even think about them. This is where binaries come into play. Sylvia Winter, when she's talking about language and the episteme, says that language inherently has a binary structure. Language produces these binaries. It's, it's not something that's inherent to the universe, but it is inherent to man-made languages in this whole idea that she's talking about. In essence, if we think of one thing and we speak it into existence or we write it into existence or whatever it is, everything must have an opposite 
the conceptual opposite. We must be able to name a thing and then name what is not that thing. And that's sort of how the binary logic of language comes into existence. Winter has this idea that there are two categories once a binary is constructed. There's the foundational category and the liminal category. So the foundational category is everything that is central to life, everything that is virtuous or good. Um, it's overvalued in this way. It's something that's praised, adored, desired, whatever it is. And opposite to the foundational category is the liminal category. Now, the liminal category sort of contains the opposites that are undervalued. So, for example, she talks about the Western epistem and how the foundational category includes things like logic, reason, the mind, man, whiteness, you know, all these things that are constructed in binaries. And on the other half of those binaries, in the liminal category, you know, you get things like irrationality, bodies, women, non-whiteness, emotion, feeling, sentimentality, all of these things that are the opposite of logic and reason and the mind, all these things that are exalted by Western culture. All these things get placed into the liminal category. So essentially what she's saying with this idea of the foundational and liminal categories is that every binary that exists Every time we structure things into a system of opposites, a system of coupled opposites, the way language inherently does, we get a binary soaked in a value hierarchy. So that on the one hand, you have the foundational things, things that are overvalued. And then you have the liminal things, things that are undervalued. Every logical binary has a value hierarchy. It has a binary of good and bad woven into the very threads of the binary itself. And Winter says that all of these things are pre-conscious. We're not directly aware of the way we construct things into binaries or the way that we value them differently. We just sort of take that for granted as truth. And these are the kinds of things that are woven into the epistem. These are the kinds of ideas that we don't even think about. We never think about the distinction between man and woman. We never think about the distinction between body and mind. They are baked into the way we think so much so that we never question them. They're pre-conscious. They are the foundation of knowledge. We never think about these things. They are a fundamental part of the epistem. So to recap on binaries, in a nutshell, language creates binaries, inherently. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. These binaries get saturated by value hierarchies. Things fall into either the foundational category or the liminal category. And then these things are baked into the epistem, so we never question the structure of the binary itself or the value allotments placed on either aspect of the binary. So now what does this have to do with this essay? Let's get back to this piece about Madonna and Bjork, now that I've ranted about binaries for so long. So the title is Nature and Technology Binary. That's one right there, Nature and Technology. 
So what this essay is trying to say, really, is that every binary that we understand, nature and technology, mind and body, subject, object, all of these binaries are isomorphic to the binary of man and woman. They can be associated, the values can be associated to man and woman. And, you know, I think that's because of what Sylvia Winter was talking about with foundational and liminal categories. Once we get these valences of positive and negative attached to the binary, any binary has those valences so we can make these associations. And I think these associations can be made because the epistem was really constructed by, well, you know, Anglo, cis, white, aristocratic men. I mean, they sort of govern epistemology. They govern knowledge. You know, it was these European men that taught us how to think in the Western world, essentially. And we know what they praised, we know what they valued. They valued intellectual transcendence and the mind and logic and reason. We know that they valued these things and we know that they devalued their opposites at the expense of women, at the expense of people of color and queer people and everyone that wasn't one of them, essentially. What I mean by all this is that there are proper associations that exist here. We can associate woman with body and man with mind so that man and mind are overvalued and woman and body are undervalued. You know, these associations exist because people with the same interests were sort of constructing the epistem. Now, Marsh and West don't talk about this in their essay, but they do talk about how these associations all exist and at their core is the binary between man and woman. That is sort of the first moment of a binary, of an epistemic metaphysical binary. That is the first instance, man and woman. That's at the center of these binaries. If we have a value hierarchy and we have two things in a dualistic relationship, there is an association to man and woman. Now, Mandana and Bjork are doing something here with these binaries. It's in the title. They're dismantling them. How are Madonna and Bjork dismantling this binary? Well, that's what this whole paper is all about. It's all about how Madonna and Bjork embody both sides of the binary. They don't stay within one. Madonna and Bjork are weaving them together. They're sort of refusing this binary in the first place, or rejecting it, or dismantling it, as the title says. They're disrupting these associations, the kind of associations with you know, women and all things in the liminal category and man and all things in the foundational category, you know, they're diving in and out of each. They're not staying in the liminal space. They're crossing over and crossing back again. They're disrupting the boundaries by making them fluid. Now, when I was reading about this, this idea of Madonna and Bjork, ignoring these boundaries and sort of taking from both sides of a binary. It really reminded me of this book by Jose Munoz called Disidentifications. Some of you might be familiar with this book because it's a really seminal piece in modern queer theory and critical theory in general. And um, 
it has definitely been one of the most influential pieces I've ever read in my educational experience, I guess. This idea of disidentifications really spoke to me because it deals with binaries, it deals with these kinds of things, specifically with the binary of hegemonic and marginalized, you know, self and other, inside and outside. It deals with privilege and lack thereof. So what is this idea of disidentifications? Well, the way I think it was best expressed in the preface to this book was with the Peshoian paradigm. Now, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right, because I don't speak any French, but Peshoian paradigm. All right, so what is this Peshoian paradigm? Peshaw says there are three kinds of subjects, three kinds of civil subjects. The first is the identifier. This is the kind of person who lives within mainstream hegemonic ideology and you know, expected behaviors and actions. They never question it. So obviously, the identifier is not going to be a political revolutionary because they're not causing any friction with the existing status quo. There's no possibility for change here. The next subject is the opposite of the identifier, the other end of a binary, if you will. It's the counter-identifier. The counter-identifier is the person that rejects the mainstream social order entirely. They reject everything hegemonic, everything in the center of the world. Maybe it's queer people creating a city of their own so they don't have to interact with the discrimination from straight people. Maybe it's women doing the same. Maybe it's a female dominatrix who rejects having any power be expressed over her and turns the table completely. Pichot has this idea that the counter-identifier, even though their beliefs and actions are in direct contrast with the mainstream, the status quo, the counter-identifier isn't making any political action because the fact that they've just reverted the binary keeps the binary entirely intact. So not much social change can be achieved if the binary is just flipped on its ass. It's still keeping it there. It's still keeping the power structures the same. So Pichot has this idea that if you just flip the binary, if you counter-identify and turn the world on its ass and create an entirely opposite system, that's not going to create any political progress either. It's not dismantling the power hierarchies, how they exist in the first place. It's just changing them. And also, if you counter-identify with the mainstream, if you fully reject it, you will never be able to change it because it will fully reject you. That's sort of the key thing that Munoz focuses on in this book. This idea that if you fully counter-identify and you fully reject mainstream hegemony and these sort of inner privileged spaces, you're not going to make any political progress. So what's there to do, right? Like, you can't agree, you can't disagree. How do we exist and behave as subjects in this world, as politicized subjects. So that's where the third character comes into play, the disidentifier. 
Now, the disidentifying subject doesn't fully accept the mainstream order of things, but yet they also don't fully reject it. They're sort of somewhere in the middle of this binary between identifying and counter-identifying that allows them to do both at the same time. You know, I think about Du Bois's concept of double consciousness. It's the idea that marginalized subjects see themselves as neither subjects nor objects, but they have this sort of double sight, this double consciousness of seeing themselves as both subjects and objects, as autonomous and governed. We are not one side of a binary in that sense, we are the liminal space between them. So in an aesthetic sense, to disidentify might be to wear both masculine and feminine clothes as a woman. Disidentifying is the coexistence of femme and mask in one person's aesthetic. And disidentification is political. That's sort of the whole purpose of Munoz's writing. It's this idea of how to make political change. It's not to counter-identify. It's not to reject what we see, reject what we know, the status quo. It's to work on it, with it, and against it, and through it. It's to take privilege and power and re-encode it and rework it so that it's less violent to marginalized subjects. It's not rejecting the world as we know it, but it's working with it to alter it and shape it, and essentially dismantle the binaries that caused this violence in the first place. These binaries that caused the devaluation of things in the liminal category. I think there's one point in the essay that touches on this political methodology of disidentification. It's when Keith Grint is talking about Madonna working with producers, and rather than Madonna, you know, trying to produce all of her own music herself, and not have any man in the space, and rather than having her music fully produced by a man, she sort of crosses that in-between area where she's still working with the men. She's not rejecting the power that men have in the studio or technological spaces, but she's not letting that man control her completely either. She's sort of somewhere in the middle of in full control and under full control. She's disidentifying. And you know what? Through that disidentification, she is making waves as a female artist in a way that's more progressive than if she wasn't. So let's think some more about how disidentifications relates to this essay. Well, really, I think that's what the whole essay is about. It's really about Madonna and Bjork disidentifying with the mask and the femme. And mask and femme, that binary in this essay, really takes the shape of nature and technology, where nature is associated with the woman and technology is associated with the man. And remember, that's at the core of this essay, that all binaries can be associated to man and woman. So back to Madonna and Bjork. Both of them are making electronic music, which is something that's associated with technology and thus men. Electronic music, instrumentation, mastery of an external piece of technology, is more masculine than mastery of an internal material thing like the vocal cords. That's a very organic thing that's associated with women. And Madonna and Bjork are disidentifying with that. 
They're not creating this cold music. They're not learning how to use these machines and hyperproduce their songs. They're taking from that, but they're adding their femininity to it. Regardless of whether we think to be a woman is to be connected to the body and the earth, that doesn't matter. What matters is that's the hegemonic ideology. That's the association of these binaries. If Bjork and Madonna were fully to embrace the sing-songy feminine aspects of their music, they would be identifying with the expectation of femininity. If they were to just make techno music with machines and not have any organic aspect to it, they'd be counter-identifying, but they're disidentifying here. They're doing both. They're breaking the gap between them. They're fusing nature and technology together. And that disidentificatory act is powerful because they're creating a new space. They're generating a new arena for people to exist in. They're generating life that doesn't have to be defined by these binaries where women don't have to be associated with everything in a liminal category of binary associations. Women don't have to be associated with the body rather than the mind, imminence as opposed to transcendence, nature as opposed to technology, private as opposed to public, you know, all these binaries that we've been talking about for so long. When Madonna and Bjork cross over into the technological side of their music rather than the natural side, you know, all of these associations that hold masculine and feminine as their core are all being disrupted. So in the preface to the book Disidentifications, Munoz includes an excerpt by James Baldwin from his essay Just Above My Head. I think this quote really gets at something core here, so I'm going to read it to you guys. The song does not belong to the singer. The singer is found by the song. Ain't no singer anywhere ever made up a song that is not possible. He hears something. I really believe, at the bottom of my balls, baby, that something hears him. Something says, come here, and jumps on him just how you jump on a piano or a sax or a violin or a drum, and you make it sing the song you hear. And you love it, and you take care of it, better than you take care of yourself. Can you dig it? Wow, is the sound of millions and millions, and who knows now, listening. Where life is, where is death? I love that passage. And it says so much, so much about this idea of disidentification. I think about the singer as the subject, people, a person, and the song as the epistem, the ideology we inherit from these binary associations. The song does not belong to the singer. The singer is found by the song. The subject disidentifies with the song. The subject hears the call of the song. They don't choose, the song chooses them. But the subject is reworking it. They are manipulating the song, they're creating it. The subject is created by the song and creates it at the same time. They co-produce each other. Now this feedback loop is something we've talked a lot about this semester. The feedback loop of ideology and materiality through the way that technology is developed, the way we interact with it. 
we're not creating technology and technology is not creating us. We're not creating ideology and ideology is not creating us. All of these things are in a feedback loop where they co-produce each other. Now, why is this important to this essay? Well, one of the binaries that we see is that between nature and culture. And this paper talks about this idea that the technological world is able to appropriate the natural world in the same way that men are able to express their domination over women. But let's think about this quote from James Baldwin. The singer and the song is sort of like materiality and ideology. One doesn't produce the other, but they're in a very deeply intertwined relationship of co-production. This is the idea of the feedback loop that we've been talking about. Recording studios might be masculine, but they're not fixed. They're not inherently masculine. They're not so that we can't change them. We create the recording studios. We create the equipment that supposedly has control over us. The material world affects the social world. There's a lack of mutual exclusivity here. There's some bleeding over. This is really important to this essay, this leaking, especially when Martian West referenced Donna Haraway in the Cyborg Manifesto. So what Donna Haraway is really trying to expose is that these binaries don't really exist. They're purely mental constructions. They aren't real. By understanding that these binaries are not real, we can deconstruct the power binaries that accompany them. And how do you do that? Well, by disidentifying, by going back and forth between two sides of a binary, by making the border that separates two ends shaky and unstable, fluid. And that's exactly what Bjork and Madonna are doing. They're making electronic music that's infused with their feminine energy. They're disrupting the deeply ingrained epistemic notions of these binaries, and with that, generating new spaces without these power hierarchies, without the subsequent violence. They're disidentifying, and through that, ultimately changing the epistem. They're doing the kind of work that Baldwin and Haraway, Jose Munoz and Sylvia Winter all knew was the kind of productive, generative work that we need. <laughs>